Uh, it's good to see all of you who are here. It's good to be a part of this 11 o'clock worship here at the Bedford Street Church of Christ in Abington. Uh, it's just good to be in a warm building. Yes. Uh, and to be able to recognize that we serve a God who's just awesome. He is an awesome provider. Uh, we see his creation at work. Uh, we saw how brutal his creation could be a couple of days ago. And we see how loving and kind it could be on today. And we ought to thank God for that. If you're not already at Acts chapter 20, uh, verses 17 through 24, please go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 17, verses... Acts 20, verses 17 through 24. I want to look at this conversation that the Apostle Paul has with the elders uh, from the Church of Christ at Ephesus uh, in a city of Miletus. I want to look at what he says to them about his personal ministry. Uh, so you know, as you've heard the scripture read earlier, it, it really does not get into uh, the, the section we're going to be dealing with does not get into what he tells the elders that they need to be doing. Uh, but he shares with them how he conducted himself when he was in their presence. Because he wants them to, uh, to understand what he did, why he did it. Because they're going to need to do some of the same things when Paul is no longer there. Uh, leaders need to periodically have conversations with other leaders to help sharpen our leadership focus. Uh, yes, the leaders need to be with the sheep, but the leaders need to be with some other shepherds too. And so I, I, I challenge those of you who are in any leading role, every now and then you need to have some time with other leaders so that you begin to learn that there's still much to learn. That you don't have it all under uh, understood just because you have been privileged. And we need to see leadership as a privilege. It's not a right. Amen. It's a privilege that can be taken away. Mm-hmm. And so because we have that privilege, we ought to do whatever it is we can to get better at it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and not just be satisfied with being mediocre. Amen. But try to be the best leader that you can be. So Paul says in, well not Paul, but uh, Luke, who writes this, tells us in chapter 20, verse number 17, from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, you know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews how I kept back nothing that was helpful or profitable, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and, and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem not knowing the things that will happen to me there. Except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. Paul says, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy. 
and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I want to use this morning as a subject, the Apostle Paul's view of ministry. So we're going to look at what Paul says in this text about his ministry, about his understanding of what ministry ought to be. And I need for us to understand, we all need to understand what ministry ought to be. And we ought to know from a personal level what your ministry ought to be. Because I, I, I just think in, in the contemporary church, we don't take seriously the responsibility and the obligation we have to minister, to serve, to help. And we don't understand the value that we have in helping to build up the kingdom of God. We think too much from a selfish standpoint. I would do this when it's easy and when it's convenient. I'll do this if I have time or if I can find time, but not prioritizing time. And so ministry becomes something you do when you have nothing else to do. Now, that's not real ministry. That's definitely not biblical ministry. And it's not ministry uh, that is going to be very productive. So as I introduce this, this, this concept, let me just say that spiritual growth is important. And you guys have heard me talk a lot about this over the last year, and I'm going to talk about it even more, uh, because we need to start recognizing all of us need to grow spiritually. Stop being spiritual babies. Now, guess what babies do? They whine and holler and scream yep. and need their diapers changed. <laughs> Spiritual babies, guess what they do? Complain, backstab, gossip, and expect everybody else to do the work that they ought to do. Mm. We need to grow up. We need to take on some responsibility. And just like if parents don't help children uh, to understand responsibility as they are growing up in our homes, it's going to be hard for Christians to understand that God expects you to do more than just show up for worship service. Yes. That's why, parents, your children need to do some chores. They need to be given some things to do. Stop doing everything for them because they'll never uh, understand how to take care of themselves. And when they leave your house, they'll still be trying to find somebody to take care of. That's why you ought not be taking care of your grown children. I think I said something there. Your grown children, parents, ought to be taking care of you. How about that? But spiritual growth is important. And we need to challenge each other as brothers and sisters to grow up spiritually. We challenge each other. The kind of the way you did when you were growing up at home with your brothers and sisters. You guys got on each other's case about stuff uh, that they ought to be doing all the time. It's just, it's just natural. That's what, that's what you do. When they're slipping up, uh, they're not doing their share of the chores or whatever, or when you felt more responsibility was being placed on your shoulder because they weren't doing what they're supposed to do, you generally said something to you. You tighten them up after yeah, your parents absolutely. went out of the room. Yes, sir. Yeah, you, you, you know how brothers and sisters, uh, they deal with each other after the parents are out of the room. Slap each other around, you know, beat up on each other. You, you, guys, you guys remember that. Uh, your parents just never knew what, what was going on when they weren't around. And, and every now and then, we need to do that with our spiritual brothers and sisters. We need to slap some of them up for every now and then. Uh, you, you, you need to tell them that, you know, uh, you, you're not all that. 
You need, you need to get back involved. You need to do this. You need to do that because you need to grow up. One of the things that happen as we grow up, as we mature, is our priorities change. Now, let's be real. Some of the views you have right now, you did not have 10, 15, 20 years ago. You have evolved. You have matured. You have experienced real life. I enjoy talking to people who are these teenagers and preteens, and they talk about what they're going to be and what they're going to do and, and, and life when they get older. You already know. They don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> and then you talk to them after they've gone off to college or when they get to be around 30. Uh, there is a marked difference in their outlook on life. Yeah. And that's what you expect because you've now had an opportunity to go out and experience some things. And so now you see things slightly different. Well, guess what happens as we grow spiritually? Our priorities will change. And so as I grow spiritually, Bible study may not have been important to me 10, 15 years ago. But as the Lord starts working with me and I start going through some stuff and I start learning the only place I'm going to really find some comfort is in the word of God. You start understanding the value of Bible reading and Bible study. Well, as you go through life and you begin to see that all your so-called friends desert you, you begin to discover now that they were only your friends because you were taking care of their needs. Mm-hmm. Then you start seeing the benefit of having some Christian friends who are, who are there to encourage and support and will stand with you even during the difficult times of life. And so one of the things that comes out of that is that we begin to see the value of spiritual role models. Now, we are well aware of the, 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 the impact role models have on the lives of people out in society. And if you don't understand, the spiritual role models can have the same impact on the life of a young, impressionable Christian. And, and we need to start living like somebody is looking at us. Because the reality is someone is looking at you, you just don't know it. And some of us, you get privileged enough where somebody will come to you and say, hey, you know, I want to be like you when I grow up. You know, I I like how you're doing this and, you know, I want to be able to handle things that way. And you start understanding that your behavior, uh, the way you do things makes a difference. Somebody is looking at you. And so it will help you to be a little bit more focused. Because none of us want to be accused of being a stumbling block in anybody's life. Uh, We ought to always want to add something to a person's spiritual journey. And so we need spiritual role models. We need spiritual role models who can help us understand you can be a faithful Christian. We need people who don't have all this drama going on in their life. Uh, that you got to get up every week and, act and make a confession over because you're messing up all the time. We need some people to be able to understand you can live a decent life where you don't have to go over the fence and in the neighbor's backyard to experience life. Because we act like nobody uh, can be raised in a church, have a family, a God-ordained family. We act like no uh, person can grow up and save themselves for marriage. Y'all need to keep walking down this road? And and what we discuss, we end up with a church full of folk who've just done everything. 
But we're talking about the, uh, the standard of God, but 90% of the folk we're talking to didn't live up to the standard of God. And so the young, impressionable people who come along just, well, this is just the route you got to go. I guess this is just too hard. Nobody can do this because everybody I look at ha has failed at it. And so it ought to help us to understand the value of trying to help your children or your grandchildren not to repeat the mistakes you made. Yes, but not saying, well, you know, everybody got to learn their own kind of way. That's what train them up in the way they should go is all about. And then we need to remember that only what we do for Christ is going to matter in the end. So that's going to help us so that I don't sink all my energy into accumulating possessions. I don't spend all my time trying to accumulate every degree and every certificate that, that's out there. I'm not hunting a new job every year that I start recognizing that some of that energy that I'm putting in all those things, I need to be putting in my Christianity. I need to be, put, be putting into uh, building up the kingdom of God. Amen. We act like it's the world versus the church. And to a certain extent, it is the world versus the church, but you are in the world, not of the world. Right. You can be successful on your job and still be a faithful Christian. You can go back to school and get a degree or get a, an extra job and still be faithful to God. You got to put some boundaries around that stuff because yeah. it'll get out of control. Right. And so as we start moving through these statements I just talked about, then you, begin, you can begin to see how you can have a successful, faithful ministry. Now, the ministry of Paul was that of preacher, teacher, apostle. But what about your ministry? Some of your Bible school teachers, song leaders, your counselors, your encouragers. You are ministry leaders. What is the quality of your ministry? How do you see your ministry impacting and building up the kingdom of God. Because the area of expertise or specialty that we have, it is given to us so we can build up, we can make a difference in the kingdom. And we don't all have the same ministry. And we need to stop being jealous of other folk who have ministries that put them out front. Everybody can't be out front. Somebody has to be in the middle and in the background. Amen. And just be thankful that you're a servant, that yes, you're sir. used by God, and that the kingdom is glorified in the yes, process. Sir. So I hope as we walk our way through these verses that we can see Paul's view of ministry and then incorporate that into our view of ministry for the ministry that God has called me to. Uh, as we open up the text, Paul is on his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way to Jerusalem to take a financial offering that has been taken uh, for Christians in Jerusalem. You remember the hardship and famine and all the kind of stuff that was going on. And, and, and Paul was one of those persons who wanted to help people. And, and so he's taking this offering there, but as he is on his journey, there's a layover. 
And those of us who've flown, you know what a layover is. When you're in the middle of your journey, you stop off somewhere, 30 minutes, an hour, two hours, some of you even get longer layovers. And so Paul has a layover in Miletus. And while he's there, he calls for the elders at the congregation where he used to be to come to where he is because he wants to have a conversation with them. He doesn't know if he's going to see them again. Uh, but he has such a good relationship with them, he wants to impart some information that's going to help them be even more effective in their job. Paul spent nearly three years working with those people in Ephesus. And so they got a chance to see his heart, to see his passion, to see his devotion. And, and one of the things that I would help us understand is if a congregation is going to grow and do anything significant, you don't need to be changing leaders every year. Amen. You're not going to be very effective if that's what you do because it takes time for people to get comfortable and used to a person. Right. It takes time to get uh, to feel whether or not this is somebody that's a good fit for us. Some of you on your job, you, you know what it's like when there's a new supervisor every three or four months. By the time the person gets settled, they're moving out again. And the chaos that it took you to hire, find somebody to hire, now you've got to go through the whole thing again. Yeah. So if you're not careful, you, six months to a year can be wasted. Yeah. And so when you get good people, you try to keep them. So he spent three, nearly three years there teaching and preaching to them uh, because Paul understood what his role was, but he also knew the need to build up the people there. So when we get to verses 17 through 18, uh, Paul meets with these leaders. And again, he meets with the leaders. They come to where Paul is. And Paul simply shares with them his ministry philosophy. He shares from the heart. Now, in the verses we're dealing with, we don't get to where he starts talking to the elders about their job. Paul simply shares with them what he did when he was in their presence. And too many times because we're so self-absorbed in our own world, we don't recognize dynamic servants of the Lord that are right in our presence. We don't recognize until it's their funeral time. And they want to get up and say all these wonderful things about them when they're dead and can't hear you. That when they were alive, you could have shown appreciation and, and, and said, thanks, uh, said thanksgiving to them then. So Paul shares with the leaders from their heart. They had personal knowledge of him because they worked with him. We all have personal knowledge of one another, those who've been here 5, 10, 15, 20 years. We've been around each other. We know the good, the bad, and the ugly about each other, and we still love one another. Amen. And you need to be honest about that. We know the good, the bad, and the ugly, and we still love each other. Amen. Because you haven't always been nice. Some of you have been naughty. That's why Santa hasn't given you any gifts. <laughs> and so Paul says, you have personal knowledge of me. Paul has, they have personal knowledge of Paul. Paul has personal knowledge of them. Okay, you all have personal knowledge about me, and I have personal knowledge about you guys. We're in this boat together. And so one of the things he wants them to understand is remember my example. So too many times in selecting leaders, you know, we want to go by 1 Timothy chapter 3, we want to go by Titus chapter 1, and we want to check off stuff. 
But we never look, but is he an example of what believers ought to be doing? See, you can be married and have children and you don't drink, you don't beat your wife and all that kind of stuff, but that doesn't mean you're a good example. If all we do is define you by what you don't do, huh. then we got a problem because we need to know what you do do. That's right. <laughs> and, and so Paul shares and he reminds them of how he conducted himself when he was in their presence. See, that's how you get to know people by being around them. Yeah. And, and if you don't understand, you don't know anybody here if all you do is sit next to them during the worship service. Right. You know their name and what they look like. It's through years of being around them, interacting in various settings that you begin to know personalities. You begin to know who's a man, who's a woman, a man of their word versus who's just a talker. Because in the crowd, we got a whole bunch of talkers who will latch on to uh, uh, phrases and whatnot, but who's not going to deliver nothing. And so as Paul is sharing with them from verse uh, verses 19 on, he, he reminds them of certain things. So when he gets to verse number 19, he reminds them of his service to God while he was in their presence. Now, you and I need to understand, Paul was a man who sought to please God, not people. And if you're going to be successful in your ministry, you've got to be committed to pleasing God, not the people that you're around. You want to have good relationships, good fellowship with people, uh, but you're not sitting around waiting on everybody to approve you because it won't happen. Right. People will approve of you when you're doing what they want you to do. The moment you don't do what they want you to do, then they don't like you. So Paul sought to please God, not man. As you and I exercise our ministry, whatever it is, we need to recognize the goal is to please God. So those of you who are working on ministry teams and committees, uh, don't be bent out of shape because literally everybody on the committee doesn't like you or agree with you. You're not there for them to like you or agree with you. Amen. You're there to help advance the cause of God on that committee. Thank you. So he sought to please God, not man. Now, in the context of our church today, we don't see that a whole lot. We see wishy-washy people who will flip like a light switch to get folk to like them. You guys know how a light switch goes up and down? It's real smooth and flipping up and down. But Paul says, stick with pleasing God, because if you please God, godly people will That's fall in line. Right. Because we have to recognize there's still some people who believe in God, who follow God, just like you do. You're not the only one. So don't get so caught up with the heathens and the hypocrites Amen. that you forget about please God and godly people will see that Amen. and they'll be there with you. Paul viewed, him, viewed himself as a servant first of all. In many of his letters he said he's a bond servant. If we're going to be successful in our service to God, you and I got to see ourselves as slaves, as servants. You're not equal with God. You're not on the same level with God. You don't argue with God. You just obey him. Yeah. And in too many situations, we won't argue with God. We think we're equal with God. We think our opinion is just as important as his. And so we'll never get to be fully committed to him if we're always arguing with God. 
And Paul says, what you saw when I was with you was humility and a willingness to suffer. So if you're going to be a faithful servant, follower, there has to be some humility. You can't be full of yourself. You can't get so caught up in the degrees that you have on the wall that you forget you're a Christian. Your degrees matter when you go to work tomorrow. Thought I'd get an amen on that one. Because rare do we use the level of education we have on our job when it comes to the church. You want to take all that professionalism on your job, but when we come to church, we just dumb down everything. Because I'm tired. You know, I do that five days a week, so I, I just need a, a day where I can just relax. If you recognize that your service is to God, you give him your best seven days a week, not one day a week. And we relegated spiritual service to one day a week, and that's on Sunday. And the rest of the week, five of those days, uh, that's service to my job. And then Saturday, that's service to me. Because some of you, don't mess with my Saturday. Don't put a church event on, on Saturday. I'm not coming. <laughs> well, that's why you're the way you are. And so Paul says there needs to be some humility. There needs to be some emptying of oneself. No, recognize you're not all that in a bag of chips. Here's a piece of, uh, of sliced bread. Stale bread at that. So you got to have the right view of, of who you are. I've told you many times, you're a piece of dirt. Brown dirt, black dirt, caramel dirt. Whatever shade you are, that's your dirt. But it's helpful to keep a sense of balance and know that. So you don't take yourself too seriously. And, and you, don't, you don't get caught up in all the praise that people say about you. Sometimes folks are just trying to butter you up because they, they, they want something from you. They don't really care about what they, they're lying to you. So, so if you're going to be a faithful servant, you've got to have some humility. Then you've got to be willing to suffer. You and I are not going to be faithful in our ministry to God without some suffering that's going to come. Some inconvenience that's going to come. And you have to take that and move on with it. You don't, you don't let the suffering stop you. You don't let the inconvenience stop you. You recognize that's just a part of the process of being faithful to God. Amen. Paul talks about internal suffering and external suffering. Uh, there's a suffering that we get when people dishonor our God. And then there's a suffering that comes about when people attack us. In the contemporary church, we get more upset when people attack us. That's why we have arguments and fussing with folk. That's why we find it difficult to uh, forgive people, because we focus more on what's happening to us and less on the dishonor folk are giving our God. See, if we take care of God's business, he will deal with your enemies. Thank you. That's why you don't have to be arguing with people. You. you don't have to be going toe-to-toe to people. You don't have to be ba uh, uh, talking about people and all that kind of stuff or airing your differences out on email and on Facebook. That's what fools do. That's not what Christians do. And so if we're going to be a good servant, you have to recognize suffering is a part of, after all, didn't Jesus suffer? Yeah. Amen. And I don't remember reading where he did anything wrong. Right. 
He was perfect and still suffered. You and I are not perfect, so we should not be surprised when suffering comes in our lives. And some of us need to recognize some of the suffering you experienced, you brought on yourself. Uh, yeah, nothing to do with you being faithful to God. It has everything to do with bad choices, bad decisions that you've made that right. we don't many times don't want to face up to. Right. And so he says, remember my service to God how I conducted myself. Because Paul says, first of all, my ministry was service to God. That alone ought to cause us to give it our best. I am not going to get up here doing a sermon without having given my best effort to putting that lesson together. And I don't care if I was sick all week long. Because I know when I come up here, I don't have no crutch to stand on. You guys are looking at me and wanted me to say something that's worth listening to. Yes, sir. Well, how about you in your ministry? When your ministry is doing a program or an activity, how many of us are putting forth our best effort? Or are you just throwing stuff together at the last moment? It's about how we view our ministry. If it's service to God, if it's something I'm doing to God, and you ought to always want it to be your best. If President Joe Biden strode up in here, some of you would be sitting up straight. You wouldn't be nodding. Uh, you wouldn't be asleep. You'd be trying to get some autographs. <laughs> God is here with you every Sunday, and you just come up like you're just uh, recovering from a night out. Oh, by the way, you may be recovering from a night out. <laughs> no, it was too cold last night for you to be out, so... Remember our ministry is service to God. And you ought to want to give him your best. And then in verse number 20, uh, Paul reminds them of his service to the church. So Paul was very clear that he understood his role was teaching, preaching. It was equipping the saints at Ephesus. And so that's why he, he could say, I, I didn't hold back anything that was relevant, that was important, that you needed to know so you can be the strongest disciple you could be. And so as we go about uh, exercising our ministry, we need to give it our best. You need to be as prepared as you possibly can. Not holding back anything, trying to save something in reserve. No, you give it your best shot because this may be your one and only opportunity. Paul said, when it came to the scriptures, you know, I taught you what you needed to know. And so in a congregation, you need a balanced diet of doctrine. Mm -hmm. You do not need every sermon to be the same. And then you need a leader or preacher who begins to understand, and we're suffering in this area. Okay, you need to spend some more time over here. Now, as you spend more time over there, there's going to be some folks, oh, I wish you'd preach on something else. Well, that's somebody who's not concerned about growing. That's somebody who's more self-interested than other-interested. Because I have to know, if I'm sitting in the audience, there's more than just me out here. Right. And if the preacher is continually preaching on this for three and four weeks, there must be a whole lot of folk here who's struggling with this. So let me be praying for those people that are struggling with this, that they understand the information, so they can be stronger in their faith. 
And so Paul understood his responsibility to the church. And he says, I didn't hold back anything that was helpful or profitable. Scripture is profitable. It will build you up. It will make you wise unto salvation. Now, even though scripture has the ability to do that, if you close your mind, close your ears, and in this case, close your eyes, it won't help you. And there are some of us who we're just closed. We only want to know what I know, and I just want to get through this sermon so I can go home. And when you do that for several weeks, several months, several years, or for decades, you can begin to see how you can be attending worship for long periods of time and still be a spiritual baby. And the sad reality is we still got a whole lot of spiritual babies who've been coming to church services for decades. But they've never grown. And the people who are around them who ought to hold them accountable have not done that. They've enabled them to still be spiritual babies. And so then you get somebody else who comes along who doesn't baby them. Then they got a problem with that person. Paul says, I didn't hold anything back that was profitable to you. I, I, I preached publicly and I preached privately. So there's the public proclamation of scripture where a person is teaching the whole assembly or the whole congregation, and then there's those house-to-house gatherings, those small group gatherings, where you're talking to a smaller group of people. The reality is, in both locations, there ought to be solid teaching going on. Different environments, and so you approach things from a different perspective. But it needs to be solid information because each of those opportunities gives you an opportunity to edify people, to build people up, to help them to understand biblical truths that they need to understand. Now, many of you came along in the church where there used to be uh, people would meet at each other's houses and have Bible study there all the time or fellowship meals and whatnot, and it helped build a sense of community. We've lost that. We need to go back to that. There's a lot of learning that takes place in small groups. Because some people are intimidated to speak out in a large crowd, but you get them among six, seven people, they're talking to death. Well, one of the things that you want to happen in a growing congregation is people to be comfortable expressing themselves and not be intimidated by this person who's always talking. Because some of you, you talk too much, you don't give other people an opportunity to talk at all. Every time a question is answered, you got to raise your hand. And then we get offended when a teacher like me ignores you. There are other people that need to get involved in this discussion, not just you. And you never, you never, never realize the blessedness that comes from getting other people involved. Because sometimes they say profound stuff. But we need to be able to listen. We need to see the value of that. And so Paul says, you know, remember what I did to the church because there are times when you don't get a preacher who will say the same thing publicly that they say privately. Mercy. Just like you don't get some church members who say the same thing in a church meeting that they'll say in the parking lot. Okay, you guys will get that later. But as we mature, you begin to understand, well, why am I being a coward? If, if I feel this way, let me say it uh, when the environment is appropriate 
as opposed to backstabbing people and, 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 and slandering people. See, we need to grow up and begin to recognize a meeting where it's an open forum, take advantage of that. Ask your questions with respect, but it's an open forum. So that means it, 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 it's open. And by the way, we're going to do an open forum later this year. And I hope when we do that, you guys come and take advantage uh, of that opportunity. You may not get the answers you want, but you will at least get an answer. And then in verse number 21, uh, he talks about, remember my service to the lost. Paul can say, look at what I did when it came to evangelism. Look at what I did when it came to meeting the needs of those who are lost. All Christians should be concerned about reaching the lost. Yes. It ought to be important to every one of us who's of age sitting in here that you make an attempt to reach somebody who does not know Jesus. It ought to be a priority. It ought to be something that we're engaged in all the time. Not just for a special event. But it's just what we do on a regular basis. Amen. Because you ought not to want to see people lost and going to hell. Amen. And so you share with them as you have opportunity. Yeah. But make sure you know what you're talking about when you try to share with them. Because we're good at throwing out statements and can't back them up. We're good at saying you need to be a member of the Church of Christ, but we don't tell people why. We're good at saying there's only one church you can read about in Scripture, but we can't find where in Scripture says that. Uh, we're good at saying a whole bunch of things that we don't understand. You need to be able to biblically support what you're talking about. That's what convinces people. There's enough religious people that are saying religious things. Most of them have no biblical support for what they're saying. Paul said, I testify to the Jews and the Greeks. Uh, Paul was willing to share the gospel with anybody. He gave complete detailed presentations of the gospel. Remember, Paul was called to be an apostle to the Gentiles, but Paul says, I testified to Jews and Greeks. Whoever came my way, whoever the Lord sent my way, I was going to make sure they knew something about my God. That's right. Can we say the same? That when God sends people your way, and you'll know when God sends them, they'll start talking to you about religion. Mm. You know folks just don't walk up out of the blue and start having that kind of conversation with you. So when somebody opens a door like that, you stop what you're doing. You, you leave the grocery cart alone. You pull it over the south so you're not blocking the aisle, and you have a conversation with the person. Or you're at the bus stop or you're in the elevator or wherever, and they want to have a conversation with you, you see that as important. Even if that means you got to miss your lunch break. Yes, sir. Even if that means you got to leave work a little bit late. You guys hear me? Yes, yes, sir. Okay. Uh, so we'll leave work late to work. But will you leave work late to have a conversation with a coworker? Who says, since we can't talk about religion on the job, can you stay after work is over? Since you're already in the building. Mm -hmm. He said, you know, I testified to Jews and the Greeks. I, I didn't care. I was going to share with them the word of God. And he says, I, I taught them repentance toward God and faith toward Jesus. 
you and I are not going to get very far if we're trying to teach people the gospel without helping them to understand you got to repent. Yeah. You have to change. Yeah. And, and don't be afraid to say that uh, because that's required yeah. if they're going to become a Christian. Now, you have to help them understand what repentance is. Repentance is a church word. Yeah. And so even some of us in here don't know what it means. But if you're talking to somebody who didn't grow up in church services, you have to explain that. Tell them it means to change. It means to go in a different direction. So biblical repentance means a change in mind that results in a change in behavior. And a lot of times that's where we fail because people try to change their behavior, but they have not changed their mind. So guess what's going to happen? That's only going to last a short period of time. So we got to change the thinking. If we can change the person's thinking, then their behavior will fall in line. And so if we don't change the thinking, uh, behavior is not going to change. And so a person can sit in our audience and, and all that, but then if they have not been open to what the scriptures say and the changes that the scriptures said, they're still going to be thinking the same. And at a certain point, they're going to say, well, you know, I don't believe in any stuff I'm hearing. So guess what their behavior is going to do? It's going to change. They're going to stop coming to worship service because they don't believe it. They don't see its importance. And so we got to help people understand that repentance toward God is a concept that's always there. Which means even after I become a Christian, I recognize when I sin, I need to repent. Because too many church folk think that after they become a Christian, they don't have to repent of anything. Because you guys are too perfect. You don't make no mistakes. You love everybody. And you're just lying to yourself. So that's why we have help in repentance is toward God. It's not toward the church. We need to stop these people who come to church. Uh, church, I, I want you guys to pray. For, I want to apologize to you all. You need to apologize to God. We didn't make you. We didn't give you no law. God did. And so if you're trying to please us, it's not going to last. Because some of us will give you license to keep on doing what you're doing. You won't get a license to keep on doing it if your repentance is toward God. Because every time you open up the book, he's going to say the same thing. The wages of sin is death. All have sinned and fallen short. And that's always going to be there. So never get this idea, I, I don't sin. I used to sin. You know, we're quick to talk about habits we used to have that we quit. Have you quit? You, you quit sinning, brother? Sister, you quit sinning? Okay, you don't have to say anything. Sister, you quit sinning? And even when you want to quit, it's, it's, in, it's in your flesh. All you have to do is get the right temptation in front of you. And, and the thoughts will start coming in your head. And, and if you let them stay in your head long enough, you're going to start turning into actions. So it's repentance toward God that we got to help people to understand. And then as they turn away from sin, they turn toward God, they got to have faith in Jesus. So it's about turning away from something, but then you got to turn toward something. So if all we get people to do is just turn away from sin and they, and they do that, where are they going to go from there? You got to help them and say, you got to turn toward Jesus. And you got to trust Jesus for your salvation. Don't trust the law for your salvation. 
Don't trust how good you are for your salvation. Don't trust the fact that you don't curse anymore toward your salvation. Don't trust the fact that you get up and lie and say you love everybody. Our faith is in Jesus. We trust him. Which is why as I learn what he wants me to do, I'm always doing it. Because I recognize my salvation is tied to my faith in him. Because on any given day, I'll mess up. I'll do something crazy and stupid. And so I trust Jesus for my salvation because I know I'm not perfect. I trust Jesus for my salvation because I know I will be tempted to sin and will sin. And so if I have the repentance, I have the faith that I need to do, and I simply walk in the light. We've got to help people understand, as you're turning away and you're turning toward, you've got to keep on walking in what you know is right. Because if you don't keep on walking, you're going to stop. And you're going to start looking. And you're going to start seeing stuff that's attractive to you. Wow. I'd never noticed that before. And you're going to get sidetracked and go off in that direction. And guess what? You're going to move away from trusting God to trusting this stuff or this person that you now see. I'm amazed at how many people who claim they love God and all it takes is for them to meet a woman or meet a man and they lose their perspective on everything. And then when you catch them and they turn out to be the wrong person, now you're blaming God for you're taking your eyes off of him. So Paul could say, remember my interaction with those people who are lost, how I tried to uh, evangelize. Then he says, remember my sacrifice. Paul says in verses 23 to 24, I am bound in the spirit. Paul was a person who had single-minded devotion. We need to see Christians who have the kind of devotion to God that looks like they're crazy. Because many of us have never seen anybody who was totally devoted to God. We saw people who are half-hearted. We see people who are half-hearted Christians who compromise at the drop of a hat and who think that's okay. We need role models to show you're not crazy because you're devoted to God. You're not crazy because you go to worship service every Sunday. You're not crazy because even on a holiday, you go going to church services. You're not crazy because you give as you prosper, yes, even sir. if you got a, a, a mailbox full of bills. You're going to honor God first. You're not crazy when you say, my child is not going to that party. It doesn't matter that everybody else is letting their child go. Because we have some standards here. Paul says, I'm going bound in the spirit. And I don't know what's going to happen to me when I get there. See, when you're faithfully exercising your ministry, you're not going to know all the steps that are ahead of you. You're not going to know the trials and tribulations that you're going to have to go through. You're not going to know the people that you're going to have to deal with who turn out to be phony. But you got to trust Jesus. So Paul didn't know everything that was going to happen, but he knew persecution was in Jerusalem. Knowing persecution was there, he still went there. Yes, he did. So let me pause for station identification here. 
for you COVID fears. COVID showed a lot of us we don't trust God. COVID showed a lot of us you care more about your personal well-being than you care about the ministry that God has given to you. Some of you, when you could have come back, you still took six months to a year before you came back. But you were doing everything else you wanted to do. Where is your faith in him? If you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to render the kind of sacrifice that you have, it's going to look like you're abandoning all common sense. It just looks that way to ungodly, worldly people. A Christian will understand. You're on a divine assignment. You can't turn back. You can't become a coward just because everybody else is scared. And I say that because another COVID or some other thing is going to happen, yes. possibly in our lifetime. What yes. you going to do then? Yes. The same old cowardly stuff? Yes, Lord. Preach, minister. I trust Jesus. And so if it's my time to die right now, then I'm going to die in the hands of the Lord. Amen. I ain't getting no amens on that one. Okay, I guess you guys, you, you guys not there yet. That's why the lesson is being done. Because that's where you need to get to, yes, and you sir. ought to stop discouraging yes, people sir. who have that kind of devotion. Right. Because they're where God wants them to be, right. and you not. Mm. So he's going there not knowing what's going to happen, but he knows persecution, danger is there, but he's still going. Yeah. Right. The text says nothing moved Paul. Paul was committed to completing the assignment God gave him. How many of us? are committed to completing the assignment God has given to us. So whatever that ministry is that he's given to you, you and I need to be committed to completing it. Thank you. No matter what. Now, if you have that kind of commitment, you need to recognize some of the folks sitting beside you are not going to go with you. Mm. Yeah. They got limits. I'm just not comfortable with that. That's because you haven't grown in your faith. That doesn't make sense. I, I, I advise against that. Well, you're not me. And you don't have the relationship I have with God. That's what you need to tell people. And step out on faith. Yes. Nothing moved Paul. There was no concern about his safety. There was no concern about his life. Now, that doesn't mean he was foolish. It means Paul trusted God first. And you and I need to learn how to have that kind of trust in God and not be afraid. Because if you keep on living, there are going to be some trying times that are going to come. And you're going to have somebody, possibly a family member, somebody you love, who's going to say, you don't need to do that. I wouldn't do that. Or whatever they say. And you're going to have to say, this is between me and God. Mm. Now, if you don't want to go, you can stay home. But get thee behind me, Satan. Woman, man, you talk like a fool. You remember Job told that to his wife. And we get so caught up in these earthly relationships that we don't recognize some of the people you are closest to have very little faith. They're not willing to make a sacrifice. We're used to coming and doing things when it's easy and convenient. See, if it had been as cold, cold today as it was on Friday, Saturday, how many of you would still be here? You need to ask yourself that. Because if some of you told the truth, you wouldn't. 
that shows there's some growth that needs to be happening in your life. And we are many times are blind to being honest about where we are. You're not going to get to where you need to be if you're not honest about where you are. That's right. God helps us in our unbelief. But we've got to own up to it. And too many of us want to put on this facade that we're so strong. And then when it's time to demonstrate the strength, is not there. And you're deceiving yourself. The rest of us saw it five years ago. We're just wondering why, what, what, what's taking you so long? And then Paul says, in, well, he continues uh, in verse 23 to 24 to talk about the gospel of the grace of God. Paul's focus is on God's grace. And I, and I need to say a little bit about uh, this here. You and I need to recognize God is as gracious now as he was back then. And we need to be thankful for grace because all of us have received God's amazing grace. If you hadn't, you wouldn't be here today. God gives us the grace to grow. He gives us a time to grow. He doesn't strike you dead when you commit sin. You do know he did that to some people in the scriptures. The reason he hadn't done it to us, grace. Now, what that says to us who are the recipients of grace, we need to give grace to other people. So recognize new members of the faith need grace. They don't know what you know. They haven't been around as long as you've been around. They don't know the personalities of the people who are here. So give them some grace. And one of the best things we can do in giving them grace is protect them from the insensitive, harsh, hypocritical church members who will push them away and whose conscience won't even bother them that they push the person away. As a matter of fact, they are justified instead of recognizing what you said was inappropriate. It doesn't matter, it was the truth. You're dealing with somebody who has not grown to the point they can hear that kind of stuff and it not bother them. So the grace of God will forgive anybody. The grace of God. Now, your grace may not. God in his graciousness forgives everybody. Even folk who do not deserve forgiveness. Oh, and by the way, that was you. Yeah, you said us. I'm saying you. That includes all of us. He gives the loss the righteousness of Jesus. Yes. Somebody ought to shout up in here. Yes. Because when God looks at sinful us, yes, amen. he sees righteous <laughs> Jesus. Thank you. And that's why you're still alive. And so that's why it ought not be a burden to go to him and say, Father, forgive me. Yes. I messed up. Can you give me another chance? He's already given you a million of them. He's going to give you another one. He just wants you to own up to the fact you can't make it without me. Look at uh, 2 Timothy 4, 7. 2 Timothy 4, 7. 
Paul says this when he writes Timothy, but it's applicable to what he's saying in this passage to the elders. Paul says here, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have finished my race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul says, I'm going to keep running this race. I'm going to complete my ministry assignment because I understand what's waiting on me over yonder. But then he said, but it's not waiting just for me. It's for anybody who will also complete their ministry assignment. You and I need to learn we've got to hold on till the end and we've got to complete our ministry assignment. So whatever God has called you to do, be the best that you can be at it and be as faithful as long as the Lord gives you strength. You don't retire as a Christian. Your retirement is when we have you stretched out in the casket. Which says, even if you're a senior, there's still ministry for you. It's just different than when you were younger and could get around. But there's still a role for you in the life of the congregation. And we got some young folk who need somebody old to talk to them. And I'm not talking about teenagers and children. I'm talking about some of you 20, 30, 40-year-olds. You need somebody with some age to talk to you to help you to understand the road you're walking on. The folk you hanging out with, the folk you dating, the man you married, the woman you married is a burden you now got to deal with. So you can stop all the whining and complaining about it. You made your bed. Now you got to lay in it. But even in laying in a hard bed, God can still bless you. Because we act like the only way I can be faithful is if everything is ideal. No, it's not going to be ideal after you've made 20 years of mistakes. You didn't raise your children like you should have. You know, the guilt is going to be there. The problems are going to be there. The generational issues are going to be there. You just got to talk to God and ask him to forgive you and hope that whatever it is you can now do to bless that situation, you can do it, but it may never change it. So as I conclude this afternoon, give me five minutes and I'll be done. Okay, thank you for saying take your time. (laughs) Insightful person, whoever it was that said that. So first of all is recognize each of us has a ministry journey. Each of us has a ministry. Whatever your ministry is, there's a journey that you got to go on to be able to complete it. And there are some mountains and valleys that you're going to experience as you strive to be faithful with that. If it's being a Bible school teacher, song leader, worship leader, ministry leader, fellowship, fellowship committee person, building and grounds person, chorus director, chorus minister, uh, member, whatever it is, there is a journey that you got to go on to help you, to refine you so that you can learn to stay the course. Yes. Because in too many situations, we don't stay the course. We just let our feelings get hurt, and we're going to walk out the door, we're going to quit, we're going to throw in the towel. 
and we're going to miss the ultimate blessing God has for us. It is a journey. And sometimes we got too many people we're trying to travel with, and God has to prune some of them folk away from us. Since we won't walk away from them, God has to pull us out of that. Because he knows if you stay with that crowd, you'll never be where I want you to be. And sometimes later on, after you've lost all those so-called friends, you begin to see that was the best thing that could have happened to you. Because now I'm in an environment where I've got spiritually-minded people that we're all walking the same way. And we don't have all this excess baggage that other folk have. Secondly, you and I need to have passion about our ministry. You ought to eat, drink your ministry. You ought to be the expert here about the ministry you're involved in. You ought to know it better than anybody else. And when that is the case, then you focus on your ministry other than when there's a ministry activity. Because you've got to prepare. You've got to have something. And especially if you're leading other folk, if, if leadership is your ministry, you can't come up in here, but well, what do you all want to do? <laughs> well, we elect you the leader. You're supposed to know. And if you don't know, then you need to step down so we can find somebody else. So if the area you're in is not your passion, step down from it. We don't understand. We are most faithful and successful at areas we have giftedness in. If you're just trying to do something just so you can, it's not going to last. You're not going to do it wholeheartedly. It's just going to be something you do whenever the mood fits you. Passion will make you stay up all night long working on your ministry. Yes, sir. That, that, that's what passion will do. Passion will have you come out here on a Saturday to work on a project. Passion will have you even come out here on a weeknight after you have been working all day. See, we've lost that kind of passion. Folk want to Zoom everything. Want everything convened for you. Which is why we're losing contact. We don't yeah. value fellowship. Yeah. So sometimes we need to look eyeball to eyeball. I want to read your body language. So right. if you're agreeing to this, I can look at right. you because you'd be crossing your fingers behind your back and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> knowing you don't agree, knowing you're not going to do anything. I'm not going to see that on the screen because all we see is up here. <laughs> then some of you turn your cameras off and you do it deliberately. You got to have passion yeah. about what you do. Amen. Yeah. Or, or it's not going to be successful. Yeah. Right. Some of you are passionate about exercise. You spend three or four hours in the gym. Says <laughs> Rosalie, don't you know some people like that? I'm not saying you like that, but I'm saying you know some people like that. Passionate about that. Some of you will starve yourself to try and achieve an ideal weight. You just start, you drink all that stuff. <laughs> just to fit in a dress or a pair of pants. Because you got passion about that. Some of you will save money. You, very focused, they don't have nothing to give to the church, but if it's something important to you, you will save money. You, you'll uh, take up the, 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 the cans and take them to the place to recycle them. Uh, you will do whatever it is you can to get those funds for that thing you want. Why don't we have the same passion for the things of God? All right. All right. 
Thirdly, recognize your journey is not my journey. So we can be involved in the same area of ministry, but God will take us through different things to prepare us because we're all unique and different. And whereas one person gets it on the first go round, some of you hard headed. Some of you got a hard bottom and God just had to send you through some stuff before you finally were willing to let go and obey what he told you. That's why some of you are on your second and third marriage. You didn't know how to treat a man or woman the first go round. Mm -hmm. That's why some of you have gotten fired. I know you lied and told us you got laid off, but you got fired. So God had to bring you through all that. And hopefully now you have enough integrity to just say, yeah, that's true. I, I really did get fired. Uh, but I've learned to keep my mouth closed. I've learned to follow the directions of my supervisor. I've learned that I don't run the company, so I don't have to come in there with all these ideas. But some of us got to go through those journeys. Uh, some of us, you, you had to step down from, asked to be stepped down from leadership because you didn't take it seriously. You didn't count up the cost. Now you understand if you had to do it all over again, you wouldn't have done it at all. Because sometimes one of the things you learn from being in a leadership role is that I'm not suited for leadership. I can be a good encourager. I can be a good supporter. But I can't be the person that everything falls on. So your journey is not, my journey is not the journey of another person. They are all unique. But we all are on a journey. And then the final thing is strive to complete faithfully your ministry responsibility. See, we spend too much time talking about other people's ministry responsibility, and you're not aware, you're not doing what you're supposed to do. Your job is not to critique every one of my sermons, even though some of you act like that's your job. Your job is not to critique every song leader, even though some of you act like that's your job. When I'm doing a lesson or preaching, you need to be listening. Amen. Writing stuff down, checking to see if what I'm saying is accurate. Amen. When the song leader is leading the singing, you need to be singing. Because yes. you're singing to God, not to him. Right. And the list goes on and on. Strive to be faithful in completing your ministry responsibility. So you're on the fellowship committee, and they ask you to bring whatever, and for whatever reason, they don't use your stuff. Why are you getting an attitude? Your job was to bring it. Right, right. We may have had too much stuff. That's why yours never got used. Yeah, yeah. Or you may have brought something and nobody asked you to bring it. And we're under no obligation to use your stuff then. Complete your ministry. Stop butting in and doing stuff and nobody ever asks you and then you get your feelings hurt. And, I, and I'll just say this. I'll just say this as I'm talking. If we're having a fellowship activity and we don't ask you to bring anything, don't bring anything. Make sure when you are asked, you bring whatever it is you were asked to do. But if they didn't ask you, don't bring anything. Because once it comes in here, you lose the right to control what happens to it. It's the same way when you put your money in the offering plate, you lose the ability to tell us what to do with it. If you don't trust the people who are managing the funds, don't put it in there. If you don't trust the people in the, in the fellowship committee to do the right thing with the food, then don't bring anything. 
But we're not going to be arguing over, well, my cake is still in there, uh, uh, my dressing is still in there, uh, uh, my pie is still in there. Well, if the activity is over and you see your stuff, go get your stuff and take it with you. We make issues where there are no issues. We make issues where there are no issues. We make issues where there are no issues. We show our ungodliness. And then we wonder why nobody wants to work with us. You're just an ungodly person. That's why nobody wants to work with you. That's right. And you guys made me go longer than five minutes. But I did hear somebody sanction it. Take, take, take your time. Paul gives us his vision for his ministry. And what I need for you to pull from that is you need to have a vision about your ministry. And as Paul was devoted and focused on his ministry, you and I need to do the same thing on our ministry. When I'm up here teaching and preaching, I got to prepare before I get up here. Because when I get up here, I got to deliver. I can't be preparing standing up here with all your eyes on me. I got to know what I'm going to talk about. If I haven't, then I'm going to be nervous and I'm going to forget what I'm supposed to talk about. Same thing happens with you and your ministry. You got to be prepared before it's time to do whatever it is you're supposed to do. And then you can just do it in the context of who you are. So, so if I were cooking something for the fellowship committee, I don't care what you think about my recipe. Oh, no. <laughs> you ask me to fix it, right. uh, I'm going to fix it how I fix it. Right. And, and I'm not going around asking every one of you, well, what do you think of my chicken? <laughs> See, that's a recipe for stirring up trouble there. Yes. Yes. If you're confident of your ability, you don't have to ask anybody of right. that. Well, if, if you need praise that badly, don't bring anything here. Because you're going to mess around and meet somebody who's going to tell you, I don't like your stuff. And now you got an attitude. You brought it on yourself. What's your ministry vision? Recognize our ministry ultimately service to God. Recognize in the end, you want to hear him say, well done, that good and faithful You want to hear God say that. Not folks sitting on the pew saying that. And so if we can be God-focused, then we'll find ourselves getting into a whole lot less controversy and conflict with folks. I'm doing this to God, and if he's glorified by it, that's all that matters. That's it. That's it. And if he says, I've done good, then every one of you in here can say, you didn't do good. I'm going with God. And you need to do the same. This day, if you have a statement, you have a prayer request, you have a confession that you need to make, We're going to give you the opportunity to respond.